0: It's good to be back together as a community, and we're continuing to think about what it is to be a people in Jesus, what it means for our identity, both individually and corporately. So let me encourage you, if you brought your Bibles along, if you have one on your cell phone, or or however you're accessing God's Word this morning, to turn to Ephesians chapter 1. And as we open up to that scripture in just a second, I want us to think about The idea of being chosen. We just heard uh, a wonderful example of that in the children's message. We see that on on Pentecost. God choosing his people, pouring out his spirit upon us. But I want you to think about what it's like to be chosen. When was the last time you experienced that firsthand? Maybe you were chosen to be honored in a particular way. Maybe someone chose to invite you into a group, invited you over to their home for a meal. Maybe you just felt sort of drawn into something special, but, but you felt that you were affirmed, that you were noticed, that you were, you were chosen to be part of something. Our small group over the past few weeks this spring has started gathering together on Wednesday evenings and we share a meal together. And then uh, after the meal, we walk across the street to Brian and Katie's garage where they've got a, a screen set up and a projector. And we've been watching this mini series called The Chosen. How many of you have seen any of these? They're available online. You can download them, stream them. Now, I was, I have to confess, as maybe as skeptical as you are sometimes about Christian TV. You know, sometimes it's a varying. Qualities or, or levels of production, uh, but we've we've started into this the past two weeks, and I've um, really appreciated how powerful and how beautiful uh, this series aims to, to retell the gospel story. And of course, the the center right of this series is the person of Jesus. But, but the focus, and, and it seems to me, I've only seen the first few, but it seems to me that the way each episode is constructed is really meant to help us pay attention to the individual disciples and their own experience of, of how their lives get transformed when they are chosen by Jesus, right? When, when Jesus intersects their path. So this morning I wanted to share with you just a, a brief clip. This is uh, Mary Magdalene just speaking with with a Pharisee, a Pharisee that's actually Nicodemus, um, about her experience of encountering, of being chosen by Jesus, and how that changes her. Let me just share about 90 seconds of that with you this morning. How long after my visit did you feel the change? It wasn't anything you did. It was someone else. Some one... Pell's? He called me Mary. He said, I am his. I am redeemed. And it was so? Who did this? I don't know his name. And even if I did, I could not tell you. Why not? His time for men to know has not yet come. His time for men? <laughs> he performs miracles and seeks no credit? What does he look like? Is he a member of Sanhedrin? Would you at least know him if you saw him again? <laughs> I don't know why I am sharing this with you. I. I don't understand it myself but here is what I can tell you. I was one way and now I am completely different. And the thing that happened in between was him. So yes, I will know him for the rest of my life. love that idea of, of what happened in between for Mary was encountering the person of Jesus, the choice of Jesus for her to transform who she was. This morning, as we open up to Ephesians 1, we're going to hear about God's choice of each one of us in the person of Christ Jesus, and how that has the power to transform us. Let me pray for us as we open up God's Word that we would have Eyes to see it and ears to hear it, to also be changed. Lord Jesus, you have come into the world. You've revealed yourself both in in flesh, in action, in the miracles and in the stories we hear recorded in the scriptures. You also come to each one of us in the power of your spirit and through the power of uh, the proclamation of your word, the scriptures today. Lord, may the words of my mouth as I preach, may the meditations, may the convictions, may the transformations of our hearts be pleasing to you as well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm going to pick up in Ephesians 1. I'm going to read the first three verses, which is essentially just Paul's greetings. And then we'll read on through verse 6. There's also a lot more to even just the prayer that Paul prays here that you could, you could take back and, and meditate on or reflect on in your quiet times this week. But I want to think about what evidence of, of being chosen we find here. So let me read Ephesians 1, verses 1 through 3. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will, by the choice of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. What does all that that sort of flowery language mean? There's there's a lot of words, there are a lot of concepts kind of smashed together here in Paul's letters, especially in the opening. They're they're sort of like tables of contents for the rest of his letters. And I think these these first three verses signal to us, if nothing else, that Paul is writing to a community of people. A group of people who belong to one another. And there is is something truly priceless about belonging to, to a community. I was thinking about that this week. I was out on my mower. I was mowing the front yard in our neighborhood. And I was thinking how uh, just how great a blessing it's been to us to belong to uh, a community, a neighborhood, all the the relationships and families that are a part of that. And as the, the weather's warmed up, we have people sort of rotating all over our neighborhood. There are kids pouring into our living room and running around into our yard, and then 20 minutes later, they're over in somebody else's backyard. And there's this, this wonderful sense of, of openness and welcome that we've experienced living there. And I can't say that when we bought our, our house almost four years ago, that we anticipated or, or could fully appreciate how significant that sense of, of blessing would be. It doesn't feel like something we consciously chose. It feels like a gift that was given to us, that's blessed us, that's surprised us. And similarly, I think the New Testament communicates that the process of becoming a Christian, the process of becoming a follower of Jesus, is moving our lives into communion, into community, into a, a neighborhood of other souls. And so consider with me here in verses 1-3 Three, the the set of relationships, the neighbors that are described by by the Apostle Paul. To begin with, in verse 1, we have Paul, who's obviously the author of the letter, but he identifies himself as an apostle, which means he's he's an initiator, right? He's a a church planter. Paul's like the the community organizer who has gone onto the streets of, of all of these places in Asia Minor And he's proclaimed the message of the gospel. And he's drawn people together. Secondly, we have those this letter is addressed to. We have the the neighborhood, so to speak. Paul says he's writing to God's holy people in Ephesus. And I think uh, if, if you study the contents of this letter... It's most likely that he's not only writing to the city of Ephesus, which was a a city in in the western part of Asia Minor in modern-day Turkey. He's not only writing to this urban area of some significant size, but also a number of churches in in the kind of general vicinity. Churches that were, were neighbors to one another and had been welcomed into fellowship with each other. He identifies them as faithful partners with him in the gospel. But then right here at the start of the letter, in verse 2, he wants to remind himself and also the Ephesians of two other people they share mutual acquaintance with. In fact, Paul says these two people are the reasons they're connected in the first place, the reason this this neighborhood or community even exists. And So Paul, in verse 2, extends greetings of grace and peace from God, our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says there's a, a father-son combo, right, that's, that's behind this. That's the sort of instigator of this community to which they now belong, to which they now draw their identity from. And I think that's important for us to remember. It's important for us to remember that when we gather together here every Sunday in Jericho, Right? We come not because we've chosen each other. We come because of the initiating grace of God the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. God the Father and God the Son want to draw us into the community, into the, the fellowship they have with each other as a family. Right? And, and we are only viable, we'll only exist, we'll only be sustained as long as we, we recognize that we're, we're drawing our life from the life of God the Father and God the Son. And so once Paul has has greeted his friends in Ephesus, once he has reminded them that that their communion or community was started by God the Father through Jesus the Son, then in verse 3, Paul launches into this kind of spontaneous prayer. And it's a prayer that the rabbis of Paul's day would have called a Barakah, which literally means a a blessing or, or blessed be the name of the Lord. And the way these prayers would start in, in, in rabbinic fashion was, was to, to start with that word, barakah, or to bless. And they would say, blessed be the name of the Lord. And then they would enumerate all of the blessings God had shown to his people. Paul's prayer is similar to that. It actually extends for like 200 straight words. It's this massive kind of run-on sentence. Paul kind of almost can't control himself as he starts to write out these blessings. We won't even get to the end of them today. I think they run through verse 13. But what's unique about Paul's blessing or Paul's prayer here is that he says every blessing we've received comes from God the Father. The rabbis would also acknowledge that. But he insists that those blessings have come from the Father through Jesus the Son. Or as he puts it in verse 3, that we have been blessed, God has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Move us ahead here. Paul says it's through Christ that we have come to enjoy the, the benefits of, of the heavenly places. And the way I would picture that is, is, is Paul saying it's like we have been drawn up through Jesus the Son into the Communion that God the Father and God the Son enjoy with each other in those heavenly realms. All the blessings, all of the connection, all of the intimacy, all of that perfect love, we've been chosen to be drawn up into. And it's, it's through the spirit, right? This, these spiritual blessings that we are drawn up into that place. Now we, we might wonder, well, well, what difference does it make to be, you know, experiencing heavenly blessings if we live here on the earth today? Is there any significance for the here and the now? And as New Testament scholar Peter O'Brien writes, he says these heavenly gifts are not meant to be thought of simply as like gifts in the life to come, gifts when we go to heaven someday. They're not just future benefits. He insists that they are a present reality for the church, for the family, for the community we experience today. And so beginning in verse 4, Paul begins to describe what those heavenly blessings, what those spiritual blessings are for us in the here and the now. Let me read verses 4, 5, and 6. He says, for, for he, meaning God the Father, for God the Father chose us in him, in Jesus the Son, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, God predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves, or in the beloved is the way other translations put it. So again, we have this this compacted sort of pile of ideas that we have to sort out. But I want us to to sort of pull them apart for a minute and just begin to to hear what they have to say about who we are, who you are in Christ Jesus today. And the first thing we need to see in these three verses, that that the the primary verbs throughout this, this set of three verses are all about choice. And it's not about our choice, it's about the choice of God for us. Right, it says, he chose us in Christ before the creation of the world. Verse 5, he predestined us, he he arranged all things for us according to his pleasure and will. Verse 6, he freely gave to us his grace. Paul wants us to see how in Christ we have been chosen. We have been chosen to experience incredible blessings. Now, I also want to acknowledge that our experience of of everyday life, real life, is not always one where we feel chosen or we feel blessed, right? Like Like the hashtag or the t shirts say. Right, Many of us have had experiences in our lives that have caused us not to feel blessed, but instead to feel broken. Sometimes those are our own choices. We've spoken words to people we love. We've made choices that brought guilt or brought shame upon us instead. And we're broken by that. Maybe we've drawn near to other people that we hoped would love us or would affirm us or would receive us, but instead we were unnoticed or unwelcome or unwanted. And the result of of that reality, that broken reality, is that many of us now kind of come to evaluate both who we are and also the people around us with, with defensive or with cynical or with even judgmental spirits. We don't don't feel that reality of being chosen. And so those those broken experiences can begin to shape how we think about ourselves and how we think about others and how we see reality. And, And they're almost like scripts running in our heads, right? Voices that tell us things like, you need to hide your imperfections. You need to hide your failures. You need to hide who you truly are or you will be left out. You will not be chosen. Another voice might tell you, if you just work hard enough, if, if you manage to hold it all together, to pull it all together, then maybe, just maybe, you will be lovable. Someone will, will at least respond to you in some way. Maybe if, if you're a type A, maybe your script says, someone, meaning you, right, had better plan, had better control, had better organize all the details of my life. Otherwise, I'm going to find a bunch of broken pieces for me to pick up instead. maybe you resonate with with those internal voices of of accusation or rejection or judgment or or defensiveness even. But what I want to offer you today is the, the script, the voice, the truth of Ephesians 1 that we're told belongs to everyone who is in Christ. And it's the true voice, the true narrative that we call the gospel of Jesus. And we, we can rehearse it. The spirit of God living in us is, is desirous to rehearse it for us as often as we need to be reminded. And for me, that's probably 200 times a day. That God has chosen us. If no one else has chosen us, we have been chosen by the maker of all things. Before all things were created, you and I were chosen to be the recipients of blessing. And they're blessings not merited on our performance. They're not blessings drawn even from the affirmation of those around us. They're blessings that come to us from God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son. And I think a huge part of Christian maturity, a big part of growing up as a Christian, is letting these blessings change the way we think about ourselves. So very briefly, I want to finish by looking at these three verses and the blessings that they name. Verse 4, the first blessing we hear about in Christ, is that we have been chosen from before the creation of the world to be holy and to be blameless in God's sight. Now those those two words are words that frequently appear in the Old Testament and they nearly always refer to the sacrifices. The sacrifices that the Israelites were told to bring to the temple, to put on the altar. And if you were going to offer a gift back to God, it had to be perfect. It had to be holy. It had to be blameless. You couldn't pick the weakest animal in your flock. You chose the best one to offer to God. Unfortunately, as, as we just covered the territory we've just been over, right, you and I know that we struggle to, to offer our best to God. We struggle to feel like we have something holy and blameless to give to God, to put on the altar. Right? My own devotion to Jesus is inconsistent. My own character, my own choices are not blameless. Thankfully, here in verse 4, what's in view is not what I have to put on the altar. It's not what I have to offer God. Instead, it's the gift offered by per- the person of Jesus Christ. Right? It's the gift of the Son on our behalf. And in the, in the book of Hebrews, the, of, the writer of Hebrews says, he is like our great high priest. He goes into the temple. He goes into the, the Holy of Holies both on the earth, but also in the the heavenly realms. And he gives himself as that perfect sacrifice, that holy and blameless offering. And Hebrews says it was his choice to give himself in our place to make us holy and blameless. So let me say to you, you are chosen in this way. And Christ chooses you so that the voice of accusation, the voice of shame, the voice of judgment, the voice of guilt upon you would be silenced. That's not your identity in Christ. Verse 5 goes on to say that as people who have now been made holy and blameless through Jesus the Son, then we also have been given a permanent place to belong. We have a family, we have a household, we have a new name, as Donna said this morning. It says in verse 5, God's made arrangements for our adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. And Paul actually talks about this in a bunch of places. He talks about it in Romans, he talks about it in Ephesians, he talks about it in Galatians. And typically when Paul talks about adoption, he's using the idea in the Greco-Roman world of, of, of a circumstance that happens sometimes where there would be a very wealthy individual, a father, the, the leader of a household, who had no heir to name, right? They were childless. They were sonless. And so they would go out into the community, and they would find someone from an unrelated family, someone without high standing in the community, and they would bring them in. They would extend the invitation to bring them in to take on their family name. And in doing so, they would be made beneficiaries, right? That that family would be integrated into their family line. And they would receive the immense inheritance of that that name. Paul says, like an adoptive father, God has chosen you and I in Christ. God has, has granted his name, his identity. All that he possesses is now ours, so that we might become his full sons and daughters, we might have legal rights to that place of belonging that no one can take from us. Despite God's choice on our behalf, though, right, we still wrestle with feelings sometimes of, of abandonment, of insecurity, of, of rejection. The, the writer Henry Nouwen says, this world and its demons can conspire to make us think we are worth, worthless, we are useless, we are negligible. But Paul confronts those voices, again, with the blessings of Christ that are now ours in the heavenly realms. The the voice that the Father would say to the Son, Jesus, is now said to us. Paul says in verse 5, it is God's pleasure. It's God's choice. It was God's greatest desire to gather us into the Sonship of Jesus. You and I are wanted by God the Father. You and I are deeply loved by God the Father. And when I, when I read these verses, when I think about that, I can't help but imagine the painting, uh, Rembrandt's famous painting of the prodigal son. And you can see in that image, right, the father's arms wrapped around the son who was lost, the son who was rejected, the son who had, had brought shame and guilt upon himself. And when he returned to the father... It was the Father's great desire to bring Him back into the house. To put the best clothes upon Him. To welcome Him. To choose Him. So you and I also are chosen to return to God the Father as sons, as daughters. Finally, in verse 6, it sort of caps off this, this line of thinking and it says that we as those who are made holy and blameless in Christ, as those who are now sons and daughters in his household, we get to enjoy this this showering of grace upon us. Unmerited favor. Pure, sort of unadulterated love and gift. Because we are now in Jesus the Son. And verse 6 says, Jesus the Son is the one God deeply loves. He is the Son of God's delight. He is the Beloved of God. That last phrase, the one he loves, is is throughout the Old Testament, it refers most often to Israel. The one God chose, the one God pulled out of slavery, the one God said, you are my son whom I have drawn up out of Egypt. you are my beloved one. When we come to the Gospels though, that phrase gets applied to Jesus. When Jesus goes into the waters of baptism, what does he hear? He hears the voice of the Father say, This is my beloved one, my beloved Son, in whom I am greatly pleased. And Paul's point here is that we are now in Christ Jesus. We now hear the voice of the Heavenly Father breaking through the clouds and saying, You are my beloved one. Be showered, be be." Be inundated with my grace. It's for my glory that I have chosen you. So I want to invite you as we uh, take a few minutes. I'm going to hear Carol play uh, some music for us to reflect on. We'll send around the offering plates, but I want you just to take these few minutes to think about your identity, these blessings that have been showered upon you, and how, how they would confront maybe other voices, other narrative, narratives, other scripts that tell you things that are not true. Let the scriptures affirm who you are this morning. Lord, thank you that you receive us as we are. You've gone out of your way to initiate and to choose us. We offer ourselves, we offer our gifts to you. Lord, would you continue to lead us In worship now, in Jesus' name, amen.